What the hell is on Beverly Crusher's head? What the hell is on Beverly Crusher's head? It's so weird. The little skull cap helmet with a little eyepiece. That's, I'm so happy we never saw that again. Welcome back. Uh, I am, of course, your host, Jack Tracy, and this is Star Trek Zhuzhurations, where I attempt, sometimes with a guest, sometimes on my lonesome, to zhuzh the strange, strange Star Trek episodes out there. Uh, this time tackling season one of TNG, and we are up to Lonely Among Us. And I am lonely among all of you today, as I will be your sole zhuzher, uh, which means we'll keep the episode pretty brief in order to walk through some general impressions, uh, noteworthy things about this episode, and then see if we can, uh, see if we can make some tweaks around the edges to, to make it a better one. <clears throat> so, uh, first off, I should take care of some housekeeping, as I always do. Thank you to the patron subscribers who help me keep this channel alive and grow this channel. If you like my content and would like to support me, please consider joining The Observation Lounge over at patreon.com slash The Observation Lounge, where I will treat you to exclusive videos, early videos, all sorts of great content um, in exchange and in, in appreciation for your support of the channel. You can also uh, watch limited video versions of this podcast. Uh, the full version is only for Patreon, but limited video versions of the podcast over at youtube.com. Oh, I was going to say youtube.com slash the observation lounge, but my channel is not big enough to be able to get that uh, link. So you have to search for the observation lounge on YouTube. I would appreciate you subscribing, liking some of the videos. There's all sorts of stuff uh, in addition to the Star Trek Jojurations, Strange New World stuff, legacy stuff, uh, action figure stuff, all sorts of stuff. So go and check that out and be sure to give me some likes, some comments, and subscribes. You can get the link for that in the description of whatever you're um, listening or watching this on. If you are watching this, you're noting I'm wearing the Hero Within's um, replica of the Picard Season 3 field jacket. I am currently wearing Engineering Security Gold. I will be switching it up. I wore Medical Science last time. That means there's only one more left for next week. Because, yes, I did buy all three. Um, and they're great. Highly recommend. They're, like, really accurate and really well done. Um, but this is not promotion for other products. This is promotion for me. You can also interact with me on the web at Instagram and Twitter. I'm very active. You can find me there. And that is OBS Lounge ST, OBS for Observation, Lounge ST for Star Trek. And we can chat there about the episodes or about anything else Star Trek. All right. So I remember this episode quite clearly. There's a lot of hate for this episode online. I see it's one of ranked one of the, the lowest of season one. I actually think it's a solid one. I think after Where No Man Has Gone Before, it's yet another rewatchable episode that's very Star Trek. You know, alien entity gets stranded on the Enterprise, learns about it, floats from system to system, um, inhabiting bodies of our crew members. Um, it's a very Star Trek episode. It has a lot of good Star Trek things that um, really feels consistent with the rest of the series. Uh, is there more they could have done with it? Sure. Uh, it's also the series' first bottle show, which is notable. And sometimes the bottle shows are the best ones, in my opinion. You get your first use of the dress uniforms. You get, and apparently this is the only time Yar appears in a dress uniform. 
You get your first appearance of the pads. You get O'Brien in gold. You know, we saw him in Farpoint, and he doesn't get a name until next season, but we see O'Brien in gold. Um, we get the first references to Data's fascination with Sherlock Holmes. You know, there's a lot of really important Star Trek and next-gen things that appear in this episode. So if only for its place in the Star Trek universe history, this is actually a, a pretty important first season episode. Um, so there were some things... <laughs> for me, the biggest problems with this episode... Are, and you know what? Maybe I should wait and do common brig with that. Let's let's put a pin in that. So here's some things I, I kind of noticed. You again have this characterization of Picard as this like um, knowledgeable, you know, revered man on a ship full of children, right? Worf makes that comment in Sensor Maintenance that we all just need he wants us all as junior officers to learn, learn, learn. It's like why why. What? Of course. Why is that a like? Why? Oh, I'm on the starship doing science stuff, and now I gotta learn. Like, okay, maybe because he's a Klingon, but like, still, you would think Starfleet officers would be like, "Yay, I'm learning a new thing. I'm increasing my skills. This is cool and interesting and sciency." You know, Worf. You can kind of see it because he. he He's really only interested in later in, in fighting and blowing things up. But, um, yeah, I just, I did this continued characterization of Picard as this, like, stately jerk who treats the rest of his crew like they're morons. Um, and he has to supervise everything they do. It's just this, this character, this, this dynamic, and I'm glad it goes away. It really goes away in the second season, even though those episodes are still rough, but... Um, I, I also noteworthy is that Troy is actually useful for once. She's helping people go through their memories to fig- to discover that there is this alien entity floating across the ship. Um, I suppose I didn't do a summary. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you know the episode. Basically, they pass through an energy cloud and they pick up an entity when doing so. It hops around the ship, inhabiting people who don't remember what they do when when the creature is in them. It eventually learns about propulsion and the ship. It uses it to get the ship back to the cloud so it can go home. It gets in Picard, and everyone notices Picard starts acting weird. Picard beams himself to the cloud, uh, apparently killing himself to rejoin the cloud and have his energy rejoin the cloud. Uh, and they, he finds a way back into the Enterprise and makes the letter P appear everywhere, and they're like, P, P for Picard! And then they are able to use the transporter to reconstruct his body from the electromagnetic version of himself that's swimming in the ship. Sure. And then, of course, there's a subplot about cannibalism. Subplot about cannibalism, where they're ferrying to... Uh, two species, the Soleil and the Antigans, who are, are, you know, going to negotiate stuff on a planet called Parliament, and one of them's trying to eat the, they hate each other to the point where one of them's trying to eat the other, and actually does at one point. Uh, I guess the only reason they're in this episode is to give a red herring as to, you know, maybe they're responsible. I mean, the crew thinks they're responsible for what's happening on the ship, at least for a little bit, when things start breaking down. 
but we the audience know the whole time it's not them so it's kind of i don't know it just doesn't it's just why and apparently that was meant to mimic the or or pay homage or steal the journey to babel episode from tos again i mean last week's where no man has gone before that was based off of a tos novel this one is based you know there's elements of journey to babel in it it's just like it took them a real long time to like pull themselves away from TOS stories and start telling next-gen stories. But this one, I think, bridges the gap between the two. This is a very... You could see this this in... You know, there are elements of power play in this. There are elements of... I don't know. Just uh, using the transport to do... Like, it is a very next-gen episode. And to me, in addition with the last one, they're they planting the seeds of what a next-gen show is and the beats of it and the kinds of things it explores and the kinds of science problems it has. It, it does. It does feel unlike Naked Now and, um, oh, Code of Honor, and even Encounter at Farpoint, which, which, you know, with Q and the mystery, like, that does have very next-gen things. But, like, it, 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 the show has begun the first steps of finding its identity, I think. And I think Lonely Among Us is one of those steps. All right, so let's talk about the Brig and the Con. Um, who has the Con? Gates McFadden does a great job in this episode. I really like uh, how she plays being inhabited by the creature and then being surprised when she suddenly realizes she's on the bridge, her in- creepy interaction with Wesley. Um, man, they did her dirty by putting her in that weird hat. That weird helmet medical thing, that was, oh, God, she looked terrible. Why why do that to that poor woman? Um, ugh. Uh, I thought um, another thing that has the con is, you know, the Starfleet's version of the 25th Amendment, where they all meet and decide whether they're going to mutiny and relieve the captain of duty. It was a nice way to have the crew all interact together without the captain, and, and part of that, there's an, a team-up of two characters that I feel during Next Gen had the least amount of interactions, which was then interesting that they had more interaction in Season 3 of Picard, which is Riker and Crusher. Riker and Crusher really don't do that much together. Frame of mind, you know, there's some stuff there because of the play. I, there's just... There's not. I, it's hard for me to think of a lot of episodes where the two of them are like really doing something together. So the fact that they are, you know, figuring out what you know what's wrong with the captain, if they can incapacitate the cat, you know, all of that. I like if the captain is incapacitated and he can be relieved. I like that character pairing because it's an interesting pairing. It's the woman who has known him the longest and respects him, but maybe doesn't put him on the pedestal that everyone else does because she just knows him as her husband's friend and her friend and from the past. And Riker, who's like the junior officer trying to, you know, impress him and, and he's the captain. So the the two of them make an interesting pairing considering their different relationships with the captain. And I feel like that could have been, that was rich material that could have been mined much, 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 much more. Um, uh, we get, you know, Argyle and Singh, we get our chief engineers again, uh, apparently 
Sing, they had to do a reshoot where Sing was in the background and they didn't have him, so they put a wig on a chair. <laughs> they put a wig on a chair. I really want to go back and watch it and try to find, I bet you it's like in the conference lounge or something. I bet you that's what it is. They had to do a reshoot and he wasn't there, so they put a wig on a chair. And as someone who films stuff, especially like low-level indie stuff, uh, yeah, that's what you do. I've put, I've had actors who had to leave early, um, give me their shirt that I mailed back to them and then put an extra in their shirt just to see like their sleeve or their arm or something. So next gen, I get it. You do what you got to do. Um, you know, a, a, a O'Brien has the con because he shows up and he has a fun little beat with the Antikins and the Soleil. And that's where we'll go to the break. The Antikins and the Soleil and everything that that, that contributes to this plot is both unnecessary and um, cringe because they play it for yucks. They play it as a, oh my god, this alien ate one of the delicates. I don't know if that's where you should have comedy. The murder and cannibalism of a delegate. And, and, and Yar even makes a reference about how, you know, they're being considered for Federation membership, which, I mean, if the Kesprit couldn't get in the Federation because they were divided on a world, um, what about creatures that are eating each other? Anywho, um, yeah, I hate all of that. And, and it's just, it's not played, it's a, it's a, the show works best when it takes itself seriously. It takes its world seriously. So in the world, when you're taking the world seriously, right, and a delegate has murdered another delegate and then eaten them, like, that should be an episode, like, that should be like a courtroom drama horror, you know, episode of Star Trek. That's that's not a comedy episode. And the fact that they play it for comedy sends it to the brig. Again, Crusher's hat, medical hat, medical helmet. Uh, her medical bike helmet goes to the brig. Um, again, how Picard talks to his crew goes to the brig. Um, but not a lot. Not a lot of bad stuff. I think the zhuzh is, is just sort of just sort of taking another pass or two um, and getting rid of the TOS parts of it, which is the the journey to Babel. Let's use the word homage. Let's say, let's just say homage. Uh, getting rid of that. All right. So because it's just me, and you don't have the playful banter of me and a friend, let's just get straight to the zhuzh. So I'm excising the Antikins and the Soleil entirely. And... I still think you needed something in the episode other than than the the cloud mystery. And so it struck me that they do make another reference to the Ferengi in this episode. They're really trying to lay in these references to the Ferengi and like build them up as a thing. We all know it didn't work and they ended up working better with their new characterization played mostly for comedy um, and incorporation on Deep Space Nine. But I feel like if we're going to rather than just reference them why not include them especially if we're building them up as like our new alien of the 24th century that is not something we already know um let's have them in this episode and let's have it a way for 
began the Federation of the Ferengi to kind of work together and while mistrusting each other, right? So, and it's interesting that they think in, in the actual episode, they think like maybe the Ferengi paid them to sabotage us. Like that's kind of a wild theory and a wild stretch. Like, there's no reference to the Anticons or Soleil having any, like, again, it's just them trying to build up, like, the Ferengi or this all-encompassing, menacing threat to the Federation that's out there. And, you know, knowing now what we know about the Ferengi and how they became, it just seems, in hindsight, it seems silly. So, let's have the actual Ferengi. So, instead of ferrying cannibals to a conference, they get a distress call from a Ferengi ship. The Ferengi ship notes that it was disabled by some strange energy cloud that was traveling at warp. Uh, what they're not telling you, and what we'll find out later, is that they were actually chasing the cloud and studying it and trying to learn about it to see if there's anything profitable about it. Um, they just say they were, you know, it, it just it it came it came it was coming right for us, and it disabled our ship. Okay. And instead of the Enterprise contacting the cloud initially, the cloud has left one of its own accidentally on the Ferengi ship. And is I think that if it's one of the Ferengi. Why? Because if we don't know the Ferengi is inhabited at the time by a, by a space cloud, then we think the Ferengi are doing something nefarious. And that actually makes the audience think it tricks the audience and leads up to a reveal uh, later, rather than us knowing the whole time that it's not the Antikins or Soleil, which are just, you know, chowing down on each other for, for jokes. Um, so, and you can still have the comedic beats of Ferengi trying to leave their quarters and trying to do stuff and interactions with O'Brien in the hallway and all of that stuff. And Yar. Um, I, so I would like the Yar subplot of investigating the Ferengi. How have they, you know, when the ship starts screwing up what have they done where have they been this guy seems fishy he doesn't remember where he was troy can't read him that can establish that early because betazoids can't read ferengi troy can't definitively say he's saying i don't remember any of this because he was inhabited by the cloud thing i don't remember going to engineering i don't remember any of that and troy can't tell whether he's telling the truth or not um so You've got the Ferengi on the ship. They've agreed. They've rescued them, and they're ferrying to the nearest starbase or, or rendezvous with Ferengi ship to drop them off. The ship starts having malfunctions. Uh, this one Ferengi was found in a sensitive area, um, but they can't figure out what he did. But then systems start, you know, failing all over the ship. Um, it can travel to Wharf. It can travel to Beverly. It can do I keep all. I liked all of that, so we can keep all of that, and of course, eventually getting to Picard. So. When it gets to Picard, I like all the 25th Amendment stuff, the you are not fit to be captain. I, I like all of that. I think where the zhuzh now comes to is I think the Ferengi scientist is the one that realizes what's going on and tells Riker and Crusher. And um, 
shares that he was actually studying the cloud and why they were studying the cloud. And you can have some sort of Starfleet versus Ferengi value conversation about how we would have studied it for science and you were trying to see if it was something you could sell, you know, like, you know, some nice Star Trek conversation about that. And they recognize that it's in Picard and that his actions are obviously trying to get them back to the cloud. It's also possible that the Frankie never mentioned the cloud at all until this point. And they were just, you know, they had a ship malfunction because they don't want the Federation to know that there's this like huge source of energy that's out there that they've been tracking and could do all sorts of, they could power a planet, could, you know, I don't know. They're going to mine it. It's raw energy to mine. It, it could replace dilithium. You know, it's very valuable. So they don't even tell them about it in the beginning. And maybe that Yar, when she's investigating, she finds out about it. You know, they downloaded the Ferengi logs or like something. So that's actually nice. So we don't even know about the cloud. And Yar discovers it. And then the Ferengi scientist says, look, I think this is what happened to me. It's obviously happened to more of your crew. This is what's probably happening to your captain. So the captain does get the ship to the cloud. He goes, he incapacitates everybody, goes to be in weird blue spaghetti lasers. Uh, and then he goes down to transport. And they're able to quickly stop it mid-transport. And Crusher, Singer Argyle, and the Ferengi figure out how in the transporter how to separate the oh here's how okay so the energy cloud was in the ferengi ship right it wasn't in a ferengi until they beamed over we can see this energy surge you know all throughout the ferengi ship and then the energy surge is in the ferengi transporter room it was in the transporter that it went into its first body, right? So the Ferengi has this theory that now that Picard's in the transporter, they could actually separate the energy pattern from Picard. Ferengi shows them his theory. They work it out. They do it. Energy goes into cloud. Cloud goes on its way. Picard rematerializes just fine, not remembering any of the stuff he's done. And it shows a moment of the Ferengi and Starfleet working together. And then at the very end, you know, the last, you know, before the closing credits, you have them drop the Ferengi off at whatever the rendezvous is, another Ferengi ship or whatever, and Yar, we can still have the Ferengi, Ferengi still be Ferengiing, you know, and have, they're in the transporter room, and Yar just being like, all right, all right, hand it over. What are you talking about? Well, you've got, you've taken two tricorders, you've got this, they've just like pawned stuff throughout the ship because they want like to examine the technology, and we can play that for yucks. And they have basically turn out your pockets, you, you capitalist thieves. Um, you know, and then there can be some sort of comment in the transporter room after they're gone that it's like, you know, you know, they're not trustworthy and then this and that. And like, well, but not for them. You know, Captain Picard, I wouldn't be here. I'd be floating out in an energy cloud. So, you know, we may be very different, and, you know, but, you know, we can work together. That's a very Star Trek message. That's a very nice thing. Um because I do hate, and I like the idea of a Ferengi scientist, which they do, of course, in Suspicions much, much, much later, because we have to, I really hate how Star Trek paints alien cultures monolithically 
all Vulcans are this, all Romulans are this. I mean, the very fact that Romulans aren't allowed in Starfleet just because of their genetics. And we're dealing with that now in Strange New Worlds in the glorious episode two of season two and the admissions policy for augments, uh, genetically engineered people. You know, um, it's, it's a failing of Star Trek to paint humanity as we're all special and individual and, you know, uh, infinite diversity and everyone's valid and everyone's unique. But then when it comes to the alien cultures, they're always just one thing. I mean, you can have major traits and cultures, but, you know, there's always going to be there's always going to be people in every society that does not conform. And I feel like Star Trek got better at that later. But even now, even now in Strange New Worlds, they, they do it with Vulcans. They do it with, like, every, everyone is the same when you're an alien. But when you're not an alien, you can be, you know, different with different values and yada yada. Anywho, an entire planet's always have one religion, the exception of the Bajorans. Well, no, the Bajor in that the Bajorans, we, we delve into the different sects and the, you know, there's... One religion, except for the power rates, but some divisions. Anyway, I'm just rambling now because we've already showed this episode because I don't think there's that much wrong with this episode. Um, do I think my judge makes it top 10 episodes of Next Gen? Absolutely not. But I think it, it just makes it feel more like a middle-of-the-pack, fifth-sixth season episode than a, oh my god, this is actually bearable, first season episode. So what do you think of my zhuzh? Would you have zhuzh it differently? Do you stand the Soleil and Antikins and are furious that I've eliminated them from Star Trek history? Justice for the Soleil and the Antikins. You can let me know on Twitter, on Instagram, at obslounge.st, OBS for observation, lounge.st for Star Trek. You can please uh, leave a five-star rating and review, comment, uh, like, subscribe, all the things, whether you're listening to this as a podcast or whether you're watching this on YouTube, please do those things for me. Any amount of engagement you give me, even if it's just clicking that like button, uh, elevates the channel to be seen by more people, which grows the audience. And what does that mean for you? If I can get to a certain level, I might be able to get some, you know, fancy guest stars on here, people who worked on the episode to talk about the episodes, you know, uh, maybe a cast member or two. Who knows? But that only happens if you help me grow this channel. And the best way to do that is clicking a button. So please and thank you. Thank you so much. And if you are super jazzed about me and really like me and like me to um, continue these videos and eat and pay my rent, you are more than welcome to join us on the Patreon at patreon.com slash the observation lab. And until next week, get the hell off my bridge. <laughs>